Welcome to Reading in the Attic, a podcast featuring old and new fiction with a retro feel. My name is Camille LeGuire, and I'm literally reading these stories to you from my attic. So pull up a dusty chair and settle in. So last time, in episode four, Vicki and Denver were running for their car with Kevin and a loaded can of gas, and CJ had just let the boss out of the basement where Vicki had locked him in. The boss was in a bad mood, but CJ seemed to be turning stubborn. Harsh Climate, Episode 5 The boss was so mad he wanted to shoot CJ, but he'd used up his bullets on the door, and he needed the big moron. He paused to put a new clip in the gun and stalked outside. C.J. followed. You head that way, said the boss. I'll go this way. I know where they're going, said C.J. Where? They're going to his car. They got a car? Shit. That's why he wanted our gas. He was out of gas, so he took ours. Shut up with the gas already and tell me where the car is. C.J. clamped his shaw shut like a sullen child. C.J., said the boss with a sharp warning in his voice, where is it? If I show you, you let me do what I want. If you show me? Yeah, said C.J. He lifted his chin defiantly. If. You're always stopping me. Oh, I'll stop you, said the boss. I'll stop you good if you let them get away. We got time. No, we don't. C.J. clamped his mouth shut again, and the boss realized that C.J. knew something. Maybe something good. The dumb cluck wasn't entirely stupid. So far, he'd always responded to praise. So the boss backed off. Okay, C.J., I should listen to you more. I'm mad at you because you weren't listening to me. But I know you're good at what you do. So tell me where they are. I want to kill them both, the guy and the kid. Oh, sure. That's what you're here for, CJ. The thing is, the job has changed. We got to kill the kid careful so that the cops can find the body when we want them to. And I want to kill Sly, too. We need Sly. I told you. He's the fall guy. Now tell me, if he takes the fall, he'll talk. Okay, we'll give him an accident. Now where's the freaking car? C.J. pointed off beyond the woodpile and field, where a side road stretched through the woods. The boss headed that way fast. C.J. ambled along behind him. Don't worry, boss, he said. They won't get anywhere. The boss hated it when C.J. got smart. Vicky lugged the gas can through the heavy undergrowth. It was heavy. Not as heavy as Kevin, but it seemed nearly so, especially since she couldn't throw the gas can over her shoulder. She lagged behind in their little procession. Do you really need so much gas? she asked. I got interrupted, said Denver shortly. He was still mad at her. She should probably stop calling him Denver. 
but she'd thought he'd liked it before. And right now, he seemed less like Clyde than ever. Vicky herself tended to be fearless, but only because she didn't think about the consequences. She knew that about herself, and if she didn't, her dad would never let her forget it. But Denver did know the consequences. He had almost died, and he still jumped right up and went out to siphon the gas. They were now close to the road, and Denver pushed his way out of the bushes. He looked across the field behind them and hoisted Kevin up high to look. See anybody? No. Okay, buddy, I'm going to have to put you down for a minute. He set Kevin down and then stepped further out into the field as Vicky caught up. Shit, said Denver. What? Where's the car? She looked up at the stretch of road ahead of them. There was nothing on it. Are you sure that's where we left it? asked Vicky as Denver ran toward the road. Yes. Denver wheeled around to face her and then turned right back toward the road. She and Kevin ran to catch up with him. As they got closer, they could see the tire tracks, which ran down into a deep and overgrown part of the ditch. The car was there, stuck, covered in branches. Oh, man, no, said Denver. What happened? Why did they do this? The boss guy told the creepy guy to get rid of the evidence, said Vicky. He turned and gaped at her. They thought they'd murdered you. No, said Denver. He turned around and looked across the field. Vicky looked, too. No one in sight yet. We're going to have to hike to another house, she said. It's going to take a while. She reached for Kevin's hand, and she saw that he was shivering. Great. She took off her coat and gave it to Kevin. Denver was looking thoughtful. You're going to freeze before we get anywhere. The temperature is dropping. We don't have any choice, she said. Give me your keys. He gave her his keys, and she climbed into the ditch to see if she could get any of the doors open. The ditch was narrow, but the car was tilted sideways enough that she managed to get the driver's side open. What we need is a fire, said Denver thoughtfully. That would draw the bad guys right to us, she said. Yeah, said Denver. She got hold of her suitcase and pulled it out of the car. Denver dragged one of the branches off the car and started kicking it to break it up. I'll make a fire, and you guys hide. When they come to check out the fire, you can go back and hide in the basement and get warm. We can't go back there, said Vicky. She looked at Kevin, sure that he didn't want to go back either. But Kevin was too busy shivering, even inside her coat. He hasn't got much body mass, says Denver, and neither do you. I'm fine. Once we get moving, I'll be warm enough. She pulled a pair of ballet slippers out of the suitcase and handed them to Kevin. I'm sorry they're pink. It's okay, said Kevin. My feet hurt. She paused to help Kevin put them on. He walked around and seemed okay with them. But then he looked over his shoulder, worried. She didn't blame him. He climbed up on a stump to look back and watch for bad guys. We're going to need help, Denver. I know, said Denver. Listen. The bad guys are not the only ones who are going to notice a fire. That's going to have to be a honkin' big fire, then. Yeah, he said, and he looked down at the small pile of brush he'd made. I guess I could set my car on fire, or something. He looked at the car and then up on the road, and then he smiled. 
He grabbed up the gas can and then looked at the suitcase. Mind if I use some of your clothes as a decoy? Be my guest, said Vicky. There they are, called Kevin. Vicky rose up a little. There were two figures coming across the field toward them. They probably couldn't see them yet, but if they had pushed the car into the ditch, they knew where to come. Oh, man, said Denver, hurrying to grab some shirts from the suitcase. Uh, listen, okay, you guys go that way, into the woods and hide. That's closer to them, said Kevin. It's okay. In a minute, they're going to be running toward the car here, and they'll pass you right by. He looked so sure of himself. Vicky grabbed his arm and kissed him quick. Do you know why I call you Denver? I have no idea. In a book I read when I was little, the girl detective had a boyfriend named Denver, and I always wanted to be as cool as her. Wow, boyfriend, Denver, and always in the same sentence. He grinned and then picked up the gas can. Survive, she said, and she grabbed Kevin by the hand and they dashed off into the woods. She glanced back and saw Denver jump up onto the road and pour some gas around. She was so glad he agreed to drive her out west. She realized that she probably wouldn't have gone if he hadn't agreed. She knew she would never have asked anyone else. She'd have to remember to tell him that. The boss and C.J. were nearly across the field when C.J. pointed to the ditch by the road. There was a car sticking out from under some brush, completely stuck. The boss smiled. He always knew that C.J. wasn't that dumb, just focused. And a real brute, as was illustrated by the fact that the guy must have pushed that car into the ditch just with sheer muscle power. The boss turned to tell C.J. what a good brute he was, because C.J. liked that kind of thing but C.J. had wandered over toward the woods. The kid and the gas thief would be hiding somewhere nearby once they saw their car was off the road. The boss turned to scan the area and saw smoke rising from the other side of the car and then flames licking in a line up the road. C.J., he shouted, the road's on fire. He had to leap across a ditch filled with ice and water to scramble up there. There was a long, looping stream of fire along the road. It streaked back and forth so no one who happened by could miss it. C.J., get up here and get this fire out, he shouted again. Somebody will see it. There's somebody over there, said C.J., pointing into the woods. The road is on fire, moron. People call the cops for that. C.J. finally got the point, and he climbed up and took off his coat to help beat out the fire. Don't call me a moron, he said after a moment. CJ, CJ, said the boss. We just don't want to attract attention, that's all. The kid is barefoot, so they can't get far. We'll catch him and kill him and be done. He stole this gas from us, said CJ, stamping out the last bit of flames. He then pointed back into the woods as the boss scanned the area again. They're over there. Shh, said the boss, and he pointed across the road. A small cloud of smoke drifted through the trees ahead. The boss signaled C.J., who now finally paid attention. They crossed the road and jumped the ditch on the other side. The smoke had spread out enough that it was hard for a moment to see where it was coming from. But as they crested a small hill, they could see the smoke settling in a copse of bushes. 
The boss signaled CJ to go around the other side. As they got closer, he could see the shape of a figure huddled near the fire, an orange hunting cap on his head. The boss stepped forward, gun in hand. CJ burst through the bushes across from him. And then they saw that it was just a bundle of brush wrapped in a t-shirt with a hunting cap stuck on the top. A decoy, said the boss. CJ grabbed the figure and threw it into the smoking fire and stomped it. The boss himself indulged in a moment of swearing. But where did they go? That's what mattered. They must have been where you said, he told CJ. Let's go. No, said CJ. They had to come this way to make the fire. The boss paused. You're right. He wouldn't leave the kid alone, would he? They looked around the campsite. The boss kicked the decoy out of the fire and looked at the now-burning T-shirt. It was pink and flowery. There's more fire over there, said CJ, pointing through the woods. The boss saw a haze of white smoke off in the distance. It wasn't there a minute ago. Somebody was playing games. None of this was right. But as CJ said, whoever was setting these fires was still here. Go get them, CJ, he said to the big man. I'm going back to check out that car. CJ charged off toward the new fire, and the boss went back. As soon as the bad guys were distracted with the fire on the road, Vicky and Kevin hustled back toward the house. Since they weren't carrying gas, and Kevin now had some shoes, they made pretty good time. Vicky also figured that they didn't have to be quite so quiet as before. Kevin looked scared and worried as they pushed their way along. Poor kid. You okay? she asked. They said my dad's going to die, he said. I heard them on the phone. They said he was sick, said Vicky. But you know what? It will make him feel better when he finds out you're okay. They paused to glance through the bushes. Vicky pushed through to where she could see the road. She couldn't see the bad guys, but she could see smoke drifting all over. Go Denver, she said. She went back and reached for Kevin's hand. Kevin looked up at her, still thinking about his family, she could tell. My mom died of cancer, he said suddenly, as though confessing something. Oh, she replied. She pulled him along, and they started moving again. She thought it would do good to keep him talking. You know, mine died in a car crash. And I hate my stepmother, he added, still fixed on his own problems. No kidding. I think she's going to kill my dad. Vicky stopped and knelt down to face him. Don't think about that, she said firmly. She can't do it if you're alive. Remember? If you're not dead, she's got to keep him alive, okay? Kevin shook a little, but held it together. Okay. Tell me about your dad. What does he do for a living? He has an electronics company. He makes phones. Smartphones? More like weird phones that do funny stuff? That's cool, though. My dad's a cop. Really? Yeah, he spends his days keeping the world safe from speeders and drunk drivers. Was it a drunk driver that killed your mom? Vicky paused. She'd been little when mom died, and the connection hadn't occurred to her. Yeah, she said, it was. Good. I mean that your dad stops them. 
Yeah, you're right. It is good. If we had my phone back, we could call him. Yes, we could, she said. She got up and took his hand again. Come on, we're almost there. The boss went back to the car. He walked around it carefully and found the suitcase laying beside it, contents half spilled on the ground. He picked up a lacy bra and then threw it down in disgust. He pulled out his cell phone and called Sly. The kids escaped, he told him. Ah, oh, crap. What happened? CJ didn't actually kill the guy he said he killed. The guy came back and helped the kid get out. Why did you hire that creep? Because he's the perfect guy to take the fall for us. Yeah, I guess, but he's a screw-up. Listen, we got trouble. It's not just the guy. There's a girl, too, and they've split up. CJ's chasing one of them, but I need you here. I'm just turning off the highway now. Good. Drive up and down the road around here. Watch for a guy or a girl as well as the kid. What if they go back to the house? Are you an idiot? They gotta find someplace warm. There's no place warm around here. That's why I picked it. But they got to. I got the kid's shoes and coat and stuff in here. You what? said the boss sharply. Sly paused. Oh, you think I'll get pulled over and the cops will see it? he said with false innocence. I told you not to scatter the evidence everywhere. You keep things separated and clean. Boss, it's out of sight. If they dig that far, they'll have a warrant, and they'd find his hair and spit and stuff from when we grabbed him anyway. CJ's not the only one who can take the fall. But he is the only one who screwed up. I have not screwed up. And I'm telling you, boss, they're cold. They're going to go back to the house. If they do, they'll stay put, won't they? I guess, but... So don't worry about that. The safest way for them to warm up is to flag down a car and get the hell out of here. If they do that, we're done. So you drive around and look for them before somebody else finds them. I'll be on the cell. Sure, boss, said Sly. The boss hung up and turned back to look at the woods. C.J. had been looking at the woods before they discovered the fire. Maybe he'd check that out. Vicky and Kevin paused at the woodpile, which was far behind the house. Kevin was a little out of breath, and she had him hide behind the logs while she slipped to the row of bushes that hid the house from them. She could see the driveway clearly, and the SUV had not returned, which meant the house would be empty. They crept cautiously to the back door and then slipped inside. Though they knew the house was empty, they couldn't help but be deathly quiet. Then Vicky accidentally kicked one of the larger pieces of glass which were scattered around the back door. It skittered across the floor and rang as it struck a table leg. She and Kevin crouched for a moment and listened for a reaction. Nothing. She picked him up and set him down on the other side of the glass. Okay, she said. I don't know how much time we've got or how long we'll have to wait. Are you thirsty? Do you have to go to the bathroom? I went already, he said. She glanced at him and he looked embarrassed. I mean, they took me to the bathroom. I'm not that scared. I tell you, I was almost that scared, and I've got to go. So you go hide in the basement. I'll be real quick. I'll keep watch, he said. No, you go down now. 
There's a trunk down there to hide in, and you can bury yourself in clothes and blankets. Hurry. He went toward the basement, and she hurried up to the bathroom. She was fast, but as she finished, she heard a step on the stairs. She peeked out the door. It was just Kevin. Kevin, I said go hide. He held up a handful of nails. What if we nailed the back door shut? Then they'd know we're here, she said quickly, and she took his arm and they both hurried down the stairs. But they couldn't get in, he said. They nailed everything else shut already. Vicky paused at the foot of the stairs to consider it. It was probably a bad idea, but boy was it tempting. Where's the hammer? On the counter, said Kevin. He pointed toward the kitchen and Vicky started that way. But then she saw a shape through the window in the door. One of the men had come back. There was a curtain, but it didn't go all the way across, and she was pretty certain that it was Sly, the guy with the music. He was right there just outside the door. She could hear his muffled voice as he talked on his cell phone. Vicky grabbed Kevin and they ducked into the bedroom and shut the door behind them. Stay quiet, no matter what, she whispered. She glanced around. The window was nailed shut. In an emergency, she could break it, but right now that would only make noise and draw their attention. That might be a good plan B, especially if she could hide Kevin better, but only as a last resort. Where to hide? Under the bed? Too obvious. If they're looking for you, that's the first place to look. The trunk? She opened the trunk, careful not to make noise. It was full of sheets and blankets, but there was room for a boy. She pulled back the sheets and blankets and gestured for Kevin to climb in. She could hear the man's voice in the kitchen. She paused to listen at the door as Kevin burrowed into the linens at the bottom of the trunk. I swear to you, boss, the man was saying. They've got to be here in the house. Well, I don't care. I'm going to search. Every cupboard, every closet, every doghouse, every outhouse, just like Tommy Lee Jones. Including the trunk, thought Vicky. She almost pulled Kevin back out of the trunk, but then where else to hide? How long will it take you to get here? Well, then don't. I'll search all by myself. I'll start with the basement. They could get out while he was in the basement. Vicky started to turn away, but he kept talking. No, I can see the kitchen from the basement. Well, then you get up here. I'll search the bedroom while I wait. Oh, crap. That left her only one out. Vicky pushed Kevin down deeper into the trunk and threw the last of the sheets over him. I'm going to trick him, she hissed. It'll be scary, but just stay put and stay quiet, no matter what. The trunk itself was heavy but easy enough to move if you shoved it from the end, and almost impossible if you didn't get the right angle on it, as Vicky discovered as she shoved it toward the door. She swung it and shoved it again so the corner rested against the door. She shoved the other end to the wall, making a wedge that would be really hard to move, at least from the other side of the door. She heard the guy's voice shouting loudly, They're in the bedroom! He shoved and pounded at the door as she pulled the quilt off the bed. With a high twist, she kicked out the window. Her big, heavy boots helped there. She kicked out the jagged pieces of glass and threw the quilt over the remains of the glass in the window and hauled herself up. Behind her, she could hear the door open and the trunk drag just a little. She glanced back. She could see the guy had his arm in the room. He couldn't see in the room yet, though. 
Vicky jumped up on the sill. Run, kid, she shouted, as if Kevin had climbed out the window ahead of her. Just keep running for the woods. I'm right behind you. And then she vaulted out the window. She caught a glimpse over her shoulder of the man just squeezing his way in through the blocked door. Then she was outside, and she landed in a crouch. She launched herself up and found herself face to face with the boss and his gun. So Vicky is caught, but is Kevin still hidden? And what about Denver and CJ? And just who is the boss intending to use as a fall guy, CJ or Sly? Or will he come up with a new idea? We'll catch up with all this in the next episode, which will be the next to last one. So that's it for this week. The story is Harsh Climate by Camille LaGuire. It's available in ebook form at Amazon, Apple's iBookstore, and other online booksellers. Theme and story music by the Royalty Free Music Company. Until next time, see you in the funny papers. <laughs>